Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. If you will join me now in the pastoral prayer. Oh, Father, we praise you. I thank you for your abundant and extravagant grace towards us. We praise you for, for sending your son and love to atone for sin, to absorb the wrath that we deserve, to bring us back from the grave into a right standing with you. We thank you for sending your spirit to awaken us to salvation and, and to guide us all of the days of our lives. We thank you for these baptisms, Lord. We thank you, and, and when we ask you, Lord, that you would sustain these believers by the power of your Holy Spirit. Remind us as the church to disciple and encourage them to remember that they're part of, of this body, but part of the body of Christ, more importantly. Lord, we now want to lift those in you and our congregation who are ill. We know of one who has gone to the hospital this morning, and we ask that you, by your grace, would uh, help the doctors figure out what's going on and, and treat them. Lord, we thank you that they're, they're in your hands, that we can pray and trust you. Lord, we know of um, others who are sick and uh, burdened with illness and uh, anxiety and depression and other struggles, Lord, would you, would you grant them mercy and relieve their pains, set their minds on you? Lord, when you choose not to heal, I, I pray that you would uh, bring peace, endurance, and increase to their faith so that they know that uh, you're sovereign, you're in control. And there are times that we need to sit in suffering, and, and you're not a, a God dis, disconnected from suffering. You're a God who understands suffering all the way to the grave. So thank you. Renew their strength. Lord, we lift before you missionaries, our missionaries, Luke and Birgit Lee. Lord, we ask that you would grant them success as they minister to the Chinese community in, in Germany. We also ask that you would prepare them and give them wisdom as, as uh, several hundred uh, refugees are coming to uh, their town. And we ask, Lord, that you would give them the ability, the freedom, the wisdom to proclaim the gospel. I thank you that you are bringing people, uh, but you've already prepared people to receive them in that area. Lord, we also want to lift up other churches in this, in this area as they proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, specifically, this morning, I want to lift before you Skyline Baptist Church that uh, you would grant the preaching of the word success, soften hearts, save the lost, Lord, that you would help them continue to build the kingdom. I thank you that we live in a, an area of the world where there are many gospel preaching churches. Lord, we pray for our children this morning as they head into the back and worship you, as they learn of Jesus, learn of the Bible, learn your story of redemption. 
I pray that you would help them to understand and, and that you would grow them as strong men and women of the word. Bless those who are teaching and, and helping that they may shine the love of Christ and, and share your word faithfully. We ask the same for us in here, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We ask that you would grant us boldness and faith and understanding and a passion to live for Jesus. Lord, if there are any who are in here that, this morning that are lost, would you save them? Would you bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Any who are straying, or pull them back, Lord. Turn them around. Help them to repent. Help me to faithfully proclaim your word so that you, Jesus, are glorified. I pray all of this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. All right, kiddos, you are released. The rest of you turn to Acts chapter 9. If you're not already there, we will be looking at verses, as Darren said, 23 through 31. As I say every week, if you don't have a Bible, there's one around you. Looks like this. If you don't have one at all, take this one. If you like this one better, take this one and give yours to someone else. I want you in the word with me. I want you to see what God is saying to us. Psalm 103:19 says, "The Lord has established his thrones in the heavens, his throne in the heavens." And his kingdom rules over all. Recently, just reflecting on that verse, a Ukrainian pastor, he's a church planter in, in the Ukraine, he was reading that verse, and, and we know what's going on in the Ukraine, and he was reflecting on that, and he said, but that's not always easy to remember when bombs are exploding. The noise of the lie can get loud, so the truth needs to go deeper. We serve a king who stared death in the face and defeated it, exploding it from the inside. There is only one true king, and the little tyrants of this world will ultimately play into, the, into his victory. His promises are sure, his victory inevitable. Isn't that amazing? In Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But the noise of the lie can get loud in our lives. The noise gets very loud. The lie looks true, so the truth needs to go deeper. So in our passage this morning, we get to see Satan's schemes against the church, how he wants to destroy the church, but we also see how the Lord faithfully builds his church, and then the results of the Lord building his church. So let's begin by looking at the schemes of evil against the church. The first scheme that Satan loves to use is rejection. Satan works to blind people to the gospel. We read that in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. 
In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He, he works to help them reject the gospel. Even Paul says, as he's reflecting back on this passage that we're in in, Luke, or in Acts 9, I'm still in Luke. Acts 22, he's reflecting back, and he said, When I had returned to Jerusalem and I was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance, and, and I saw Jesus saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. One of the major things Satan uses is rejection. We will be rejected. Our message will be rejected. But not only will it be rejected, oftentimes, at least in the book of Acts and in other parts of the world, it's, it's violently rejected. So look at the text. Look at verse 23 in Acts chapter 9. When many days had passed... The Jews plotted to kill him. And it's ironic, right? Paul, who was a Jew, was plotting to kill the Christians, and now they've turned on him, rejecting his message, and they're plotting to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates by night or by day and night in order to kill him. Again, in verse 29, he goes and goes somewhere else and, and they, he's speaking against and disputing against the Hellenists and they were seeking to kill him also. Again, ironic because Stephen was speaking and disputing with the Hellenists and he's stoned to death um, at the feet of Saul and now it's flipped. And Saul is proclaiming the name of Jesus and they're seeking to kill him. So the, the message is violently rejected at times. King Eratos, who, uh, whose daughter married Herod Antipas, who executed John the Baptist, executed Jesus, ordered Paul's seizure in Damascus. So we see this as Paul's reflecting on this whole scene that we're reading about today in 2 Corinthians 11. At Damascus, the governor, King Eratos, was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. He wasn't doing that so that because Paul was sitting around and just meditating on the gospel and not proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ, he was doing that because he wanted to silence the message. Believers, this is a scheme of Satan to not only blind the lost and keep them blind, but to discourage you as a believer so that you will just keep your mouth shut because you're afraid of him. If he can just make the church be quiet, if he can make the church cower in fear, he's rendered, their, rendered them ineffective for the gospel. In a church that's not sharing the gospel, a church that's not living for the gospel, a church that's not telling people of Jesus Christ is really not a church at all. Because that's what we're called to do. And we see in Revelation, they're actually removed. Jesus says, I will remove your lampstand. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you. And remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. We must strive to share the gospel and not cower in fear. Another scheme of Satan is the rejection by other believers. Look at the text, verse 26. 
And when he had come to Jerusalem, that's Paul, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. They didn't believe that he was a disciple. The disciples in Jerusalem must have thought that Paul is, this is some elaborate scheme, some kind of plot to trick them and drag them off into prison because he, they know. Like, he just left to go to Damascus to, to imprison people and he has been dragging off people and we just watched him. We just buried Stephen and he was there approving of it. He couldn't really be a disciple, right? Satan also tempts us to think that that person couldn't really be a disciple, right? Do you know what that person used to do? Do you know what they look like? Do you see them? They couldn't be a disciple. Where our first response should be hallelujah. How great is our God? That that feeling of doubt, that that tinge of, of yeah, right. There's no way you're a disciple is from Satan. He wants us to tear at one another and ultimately doubt the power of Jesus Christ to save to the uttermost. Our God is great. He's powerful. He's turning hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, hate into love. And don't listen to the lies of the deceiver, but celebrate in the great grace of our Redeemer that he can save whoever he chooses to save. Satan also wants to use our past against us. So not only does he want us to pit pit us against each other, he wants to use our past against us so that we are saying, what if they're right? What if I'm not really a disciple? I could never be a witness because of my past. What if they're right? And this is the most successful lie of Satan, that he would set your eyes on your old person and not your new person, that you are a new creation, that he would, he would have you forget of this baptism, that you would not remember that you were dead in Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. That he would cause you to listen to what others are, have and are saying about you in connection of your past instead of what Jesus is doing in you now and forevermore. Believer, this is not true. This is a scheme of Satan. It's a misunderstanding of the gospel. Do you believe you're a new creation? Are you relying on your own righteousness or the righteousness of Jesus Christ? This is how we should answer Satan in those times. Yeah, I know who I was. I know I needed Jesus Christ. Thank the Lord. I'm no longer that person. The old is gone and the new has come. By his power, I'm living for him. I now have righteousness, but it's not my own. I know that. It's his righteousness that I stand and walk in faith in. Or we could just quote to him, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have the Spirit of God in me. I'm, he's making it possible that I live for him. Another scheme of Satan is he, he's going to appeal to our pride over and over and over. 
I want you to see how Paul wrestles with this. We're going to jump to Acts 22. Again, he's reflecting back on this passage that we're looking at this morning. He's talking, he says, I had returned to Jerusalem and I was praying in the temple. I fell into a trance. I saw Jesus saying to me, make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. So he's seen Jesus again and he's saying, you need to leave. They're not going to listen to you, Paul. You got to go. And he doesn't say, okay. He says, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Paul's heart is not wrong. He's he's desiring to continue on. He wants to proclaim the gospel to these Jews in Jerusalem. He says, I can connect with them. They know who I was. They saw who I was. And now they can see that your grace has been great in my life. And if they will turn, if if, if you'll just let me stay a little bit longer. But the Lord didn't need Paul's testimony. He didn't need his testimony to save his people. He had another plan for Paul. I want you to go to the Gentiles. That's where I'm sending you. I have the other apostles here. They're going to continue proclaiming my word. The gospel is going out. But you, Paul, need to go. Satan wants to appeal to our pride And he starts to appeal to our pride when we start thinking or we start acting like the Lord cannot save apart from us. And the wrestling here for Paul is not the problem. It's it's where our confidence is. Where is your confidence? I have it's it's great to have a passion for people, to reach the loss for Jesus Christ, but pride comes in when we think we're the answer. I'm the one. I have to do this. I need to be the one to do this. I need to turn. If I would just have a little bit longer. If we start thinking our words are the answer, our arguments are the answer. Satan wants you to become so fixated on your abilities that you forget that he's the one that turns the heart. Jesus is the one that saves. The Father is the one that calls. The Spirit is the one that helps us believe. So we must be on the lookout for Satan's schemes, but uh, we also must be grounded in the way the Lord builds his church. Look at verse 25. Let's just get a running start. We'll go back to 23. When many days had passed, the Jews were plotting to kill Saul, but their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. The disciples took him by night and led him down through the opening in a wall and lowered him in a basket. The first way the Lord builds his church is through our weakness. Through our weakness so that he is glorified. Listen to how Paul, as he looks back on this in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. So he says, what I'm about to boast in, 
is my weakness. At Damascus, the governor Eretus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through the window in a wall and escaped his hands. That's what he says. I'm going to boast about how I had to run at night. I had to get in a basket and be lowered down, and I was not the answer. This instance shows his weakness. He's saying, I was not powerful enough to overcome this rebellion. Uh, I was not enough to stay and fight. I had to run and trust that God was going to build his church. This is why in the, the, earlier in, the, in the, this epistle, the, the 2 Corinthians 4-7, 4, he says, We have this treasure in jars of clay. Breakable, insignificant jars of clay. Why? To show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So he's saying, I get it now. The Lord builds his church in spite of our weakness. Did not Moses say, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow in speech and tongue. Did not Gideon say, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. Did not Jeremiah say, oh, Lord, God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. Church, you must get out of your head thinking I need to be loud enough I need to be brave enough. I need to be outgoing enough. I need to be knowledgeable enough, whatever enough for God to build his kingdom or to even use me. What we need to realize is prayer is powerful. That loving our neighbors opens doors for them to see and hear the gospel. That showing up for someone when they're in crisis reveals God's compassion to them. That mentioning Jesus' name at work or at school and what he's done in your life is powerful. Jesus doesn't want your strength or your outgoing nature. He wants your faith that he's the Messiah, not you. That he saves, not you. That he could use even you to advance his kingdom. Or he wouldn't have called you. He wouldn't have said, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Or go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all that I've commanded you. He wouldn't have given us that. The Lord can even use us. The Lord builds his church also through our testimony of his grace. Look at verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were afraid of him, for they didn't believe that he was a, Messi- uh, a disciple. Paul looks at this later in Galatians. He says, But when he who had set me apart, remember, he's giving his testimony about God's glory, reflecting on this situation. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were the apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia, returned again to Damascus. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem. So when we get to 
Verse 23 in Acts 9, it's been three years. He went up to Jerusalem and visited Caiaphas and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the other regions of Syria and Sicilia, or Cilicia, sorry. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And why does he give his testimony? And what does he say about all of this? And God was glorified because of me. Not because he, I'm awesome, that's not what he's saying, but because of this great work he's done in my life and people are hearing this once lost dead man is now proclaiming the very news that he was trying to destroy. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then the Lord has done this amazing work in your life. He's done this, this miracle in your life. It doesn't matter if you grew up in the church and you were saved at a young age or you were a murderer persecuting the church. Salvation is this supernatural, eternal act of mercy and grace turning an enemy into an ally. A lost person that you found. Your story matters, church. Here's my challenge to you. Write out your story, your testimony. Take time, pray about it. The Lord would guide you. Think through it. What, what did my life look like beforehand? What, what was it centered around? Was it drugs or sex or money or family or success or, or whatever? What was it? Write it out and then explain how Jesus Christ showed you that none of that is the answer. He's the answer. He's the one you desire to follow the rest of your life. And then tell how your life has changed because of him. Tell how you're striving today to obey him. Not perfectly, because that would be lying. I'm not following him perfectly, but I'm doing this through constant confession, constantly going back to the cross, constantly asking for forgiveness, but believing I have it and living by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then start practicing it and praying that you can share it with someone. The Lord also builds his church through others' testimony. Look at verse 27. But Barnabas took him, that's Saul. He brings him to the apostles and he declares to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoke to him, how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas vouches for Paul. He says, I know he believes. I've seen it. I've heard what he's saying. I've seen his life. And that should lead us to ask, can anyone vouch for me as a Christian? Can anyone say that about me? And I don't mean because, can someone say I was baptized? Or I don't mean, can someone say I raised my hand or I said a prayer? But can someone vouch that, that I've experienced Jesus Christ and I'm new? That I'm changing? Not perfectly, but I am changing. Can someone look at my life and say they know Jesus? If not, ask yourself two questions. Do I truly believe what I say I believe? Do I actually believe that Jesus died for me, saved me, and is changing me? And then ask, well, then why am I not living for him? And repent. Seriously, look at your life. And if you need to, repent. 
Jesus says, my disciples, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross daily, his cross daily, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And if you realize that, man, I, I've said I've followed Jesus for a long time, and, and I don't think I really have, but I want to. Paul says, today's the day of salvation. In a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I've helped you. God's saying, I, I've helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Repent and believe and follow Jesus. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's abounding in steadfast love. Desiring to, turn out, to pour out his forgiveness on you. To empower you by his Holy Spirit. The Lord also builds his church by our caring for one another. We see that they take Paul and they let him down through the wall. They lower him in a basket to protect him, to care for him. They don't just say, good luck, you persecuted our church, you, you're on your own, buddy. I say, you're a part of the body of Christ. We're going to care for you, we're going to love you. Again, in verse 30, we see the brothers learn that they were, the Hellenists were seeking to kill him and they brought him down to Caesarea and set him off for Tarsus. The disciples risked their lives for the very guy that was trying to kill them not too long before that. And as we love one another, we provide for one another's needs. We show grace. We show patience. We show mercy. We, we, are, we show friendship. We show hospitality. The outside world starts to see, man, those people are nothing alike, but they really like each other for some reason. They really love each other. Man, when they see churches uh, praying for each other and participating to, to share the gospel together, they say, man, they're not competing. They're working together for whatever they believe in. But if we don't care for one another and we bite and devour one another, we're actually working against the kingdom. The Lord also and ultimately builds his church through the bold preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. So we look at verse 20. I know that's going back to last week. But immediately, Paul proclaims Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. Verse 22, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Verse 27, and Barnabas took him and he proclaimed, he declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord and who spoke to him and how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord. Everything else has to come to this. Everything else needs to come to that point where people hear the gospel. Jesus says, uh, I have to preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. We have to get the message out. 
We can love each other all day long. We can care for the poor. We can bind up the weak. We can feed the hungry and not tell them about Jesus Christ. And all we have done is make their trip to hell comfortable until they get there. Preaching boldly doesn't have to mean right here standing at a pulpit proclaiming the news of Jesus Christ. It's not always a well-articulated sermon or a bold statement. It's a bold statement of faith. It's, it's telling others that you work with that you follow Jesus Christ. It's going to school and telling others of Jesus Christ. It's telling your unbelieving family member that Jesus Christ loves them much more than you ever could. And as we speak of Christ crucified, he builds his church. He also builds his church by the church walking in the fear of the Lord. Look at verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, walking in the fear of the Lord. You remember what the fear of the Lord means? It's knowing that he is God Almighty. He says, remember, fear the one who can destroy both the body and soul in hell. Don't forget, fear those only who can destroy the body. But it's also knowing that he's the only hope we have for salvation. There's no other way. There's no other answer. And it's following him and desiring to please him because he has opened our blind eyes to seeing he is the king. When the church is walking in the fear of the Lord and when we're showing the world we would rather please him than the world, his church grows because he's exalted, because we are obeying him. We're sharing his gospel. And he says, do that and I'll build my church. He also builds the church as we walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Verse 31 And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they'll seem like they're opposed to each other, but if if they're not at all, they perfectly work together. The church had this time of relative peace, this time of, of celebrating peace. And how great is it, not only in peace, but in, in for the world to see the church in times of chaos, when it seems like everything is falling down around us, to see these people have this strange peace that surpasses understanding, Paul would say. Listen to what this professor at Kiev Theological Seminary wrote last week when everything was falling apart. We believe the church is a place of spiritual struggle. As tensions have risen, our church announced a week of fasting and prayer, gathering every night to bring our requests to God. For three days in a row, the lights were turned off in the city. We were forced to meet in the dark, adding a solemn atmosphere to our prayers for peace. At the end of the week, those moments produced in us an inner strength to persevere. Through communal prayers, We have gained confidence and and peace. Bless you. We believe God is with us, and that is the most important thing. That's peace. That's the peace that God Almighty alone can provide. We are to be an example of peace in chaos because we have faith in a God who is bigger than everything going on around us. 
If God is for us, who can be against us? We are not to fear even death for those who can torture or kill us. He says, don't even fear them. I have defeated the grave. And finally, I'll do this quickly, don't worry. Maybe. Results of the Lord building his church. We just, all we have to do is read verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. It was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The results of God building his church is we'll be at peace. We will have a peace because Jesus is the victor, because Satan is defeated, because everything is working to build the kingdom of God. It is not working against him. He's not in chaos. He's not wondering, oh, what am I going to do? He says, I'm building my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We have peace because Jesus promised us peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world does. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Isaiah says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You want perfect peace? Stay your mind on the Lord and trust him. Paul says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Not the garbage that the the news is continually feeding you all day long to keep your eyes on the garbage. But whatever is honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent, stay your mind on those things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as a member of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. As the Lord builds his church, we continue to mature. They were walking in peace. They had peace and they were being built up. Here at Hauser Community Church, we strive to mature as a community in worship, maturing in our relationship with the Lord seeking to glorify him in every area of our lives. Worship, fellowship, maturing in a relationship with one another, seeking to love one another, to show the world that we love one another so that they see that we are his disciples. We strive for maturity in evangelism, maturing in our presenting of the gospel to the world around us. We strive for maturity and discipleship by building up one another to know Christ and make him known. We strive to mature as a community, as a community committed to ministry, maturing in how we serve right here. As the Lord builds his church, we we see the result at the very end, the very last phrase, it multiplied. 
It multiplied. God will build his church. It's certain. We do what we're called to do, and he builds his church. Church, the Lord promises to build his kingdom, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you believe that? And if you, if you do, are you participating in that? And if you're not participating in that, what do you need to do this morning to do so? If you found out this morning or you realize this morning, I've never followed Jesus and I want to, I would love to talk to you. One of the elders would love to talk to you. We'll be around here in the worship center afterwards. Come and talk to us. Today is the day of salvation. Let us all participate in the Great Commission. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you as we look at the book of Acts, we see it's really the book of the Acts, not of the apostles, but of the Holy Spirit, and how you use weak vessels like us, humans, even though you were created in your image and you love us, we are so broken at times, but you still say, I'm going to use them to build my kingdom. I'm created them as a royal priesthood, a people for my own possession. Father, I pray that we would firmly believe that and we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the building of your kingdom is not up to us and our weakness and our, our abilities. Even though you call us to obey, it's ultimately up to you. And it's a kingdom that will not fail, of a kingdom that cannot fail. You will accomplish what you set out to accomplish, and for that we praise you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541 756 2591 or email us at pray at housercurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.